For generations, Butterball has delivered only quality American-grown turkey. They provide products that please patrons while delivering versatility to operators in all segments. But Butterball doesn't stop there. As an organization, they're always looking for ways to empower operators to be at their best. From recipes that inspire culinary creativity to insights and trends that can help drive business decisions, it's all at ButterballFoodService.com. Hey there, welcome to Takeaway with Sam Okus, a podcast from Nation's Restaurant News. I am Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief here at NRN, and this is the show where I give you an all-access pass to the restaurant industry's most influential decision makers. This week is a very special episode of Takeaway, as it is one of our Create Conversations, a discussion among restaurant operators at our just-concluded Create Live Experience in Denver. We had our podcast booth set up at Create and invited folks representing a diversity of concepts and perspectives to join us for spontaneous roundtable conversations. We didn't know what to expect with this, but we were blown away by the conversations that operators had, not only comparing notes on the struggles that they've faced, but also offering solutions and encouragement to each other along the way. This Create Conversation features Andre Venner, co-founder of Doghouse, a 50-plus unit fast casual, Jason Ganahl, the founder of GQ Barbecue with five locations in Colorado, Matthew Gelke, the co-founder and CEO of the Plant Cafe Organic out of San Francisco, and Adam Halberg, the CEO of Barcelona Wine Bar, which has 19 locations across the country. They covered a range of subjects in this roundtable discussion, including supply chain, labor, and more. And I'm sure a lot of it is going to resonate with you restaurant operators out there. Before I jump into that conversation, remember that there are many other ways you can engage with NRN's award-winning content. Not only can you subscribe to our monthly print edition and daily AM newsletter at nrn.com slash subscribe, but you can also subscribe to NRN's podcast, Extra Serving, where our editors discuss the hot button issues of the day and we share interviews with a wide variety of restaurant personalities. We also recently launched another podcast, First Bite, a daily podcast that shares the top restaurant headlines of each day and goes deep on one particular headline with the help of the NRN editorial team. Be sure to subscribe to Extra Serving and First Bite wherever you listen to podcasts. Jumping now into our Create Conversation with Andre Venner, co-founder of Doghouse, Jason Ganahl, founder of GQ Barbecue, Matthew Gelke, co-founder and CEO of The Plant Cafe Organic, and Adam Halberg, the CEO of Barcelona Wine Bar. No takeaways for this one, but we will be back with our regularly scheduled programming next week. Enjoy the episode. Uh, my name is Andre Venner. I'm one of the founders of Doghouse. Doghouse was created 10 years ago. Um, we're known for our dog sausage burgers, some hot Nashville chicken, and then also a big presence in the plant-based uh, segment with Impossible Foods. Um, we're currently right now about 50 locations uh, that are doghouse beer gardens, and then we also have another 25 locations that are either ghost kitchens or we work in all the Live Nation concert venues, so we have uh, concessions there as well. Cool. How close do I need to get to this thing? That's cool. Hi, Hi Jason Ganahl, GQ Barbecue. We're Colorado's only championship-winning barbecue restaurant. We've got five locations in the greater Denver metro area. We specialize in same-day smoked meats, 
And then we also have a homemade ice cream brand called Ice Cream Farm that's inside of all of our barbecue spots or next door to the existing awesome. barbecue spots. So my name is Matthew Gelke. I'm the co-founder and CEO of the Plant Cafe Organic. Started in San Francisco. We were up to eight locations, one franchise, and we've contracted during COVID due to uh, lockdowns and the downtown core being quite quite minimally uh, peopled at this point, but uh, kind of recalibrating. Our brand is all organic, locally sourced, kind of known for being the most sustainable brand in the entire San Francisco Bay Area. And so, yeah. And that's probably pretty hard to do. It is pretty hard to do. It's going to say the same. <laughs> impressive. It is. You know, and we're very mission-based, and that's where we got started. I was in tech before, and it's all a passion project, and we went from one to eight. Uh, now we're recalibrating to, to less brick and mortar and sort of more licensing of brand and menu and probably franchising. Cool. Um, I'm Adam Halford, uh, CEO of Barcelona Wine Bar. We have now 19 restaurants around the country, uh, mostly East Coast, but as far west as Denver. Uh, it's a bunch of Spanish tapas restaurants and bars. Uh, got a bar-centric mentality. You can come however you are, and we're going to make sure you have a good time. But that gets paired up with the uh, chefiness of having an individual chef in each restaurant that can change the menu on a daily basis. Gives us some nippleness in today's wacky supply chain times. Totally. <laughs> Does that resonate? Yeah, it resonates with us. <laughs> supply chain right now with... Uh, you know, we're in 20 different states, and all of a sudden something's not there. You got to really like figure out how to adjust from that. So it is definitely a, it's a real problem right now. Is it getting better? Um, I think we're just coming up with other plans, right? So backup plans is a lot of things that we're doing. I mean, we're just doing that. We're creating the bar program. Uh, our guy Phil Wills works with us and creating the bar program, and we literally whatever our glassware is with Libby. We have another backup for when that's not out from another company because it's at that point where now you can't even get a glass. Like, and it's, it's, it's amazing. Crazy. People talk about supply chain and they talk about beef and chicken and fry oil and everything else, but it's the stuff that nobody talks about. It's right. paper. It's glassware. It's we actually had a crisis because we, we print all our menus in the restaurant where the factory that makes our toner for our printers blew up somewhere in Asia and there was no toner for our printers mm. for about a month and a half Nuts. and it's like yeah. what do you like all of a sudden guess what go back to qr codes for a month and deal with it and then we were able to get get toner again yeah. but it's like this weird decision of like everybody knows that fry oil is expensive and construction costs expensive nobody's thinking about do you actually have to replace all the printers in 20 locations around the country because the plant blew up somewhere in asia and takes too long to build a new one. Yeah, one other wrinkle that, that we're seeing too is the vendors, like the actual vendors that service our equipment, at least here in Denver, like they're non-existent or the ones that are there aren't taking on new people or you gotta wait a week, week and a half out to get them right. to come service them. So we actually bought extra bun toasters so when our bun toaster goes out, we don't have to wait on one of those guys to come get it just to service it. It's crazy, I mean, it's crazy how difficult it is just to do our jobs. Getting ahead of that stuff is is key. We bought a container of uh, propane heaters during the midst of the pandemic because, again, there was a rush and the people were charging three times what they normally do on it. Yeah, right. What about brand evolution, Matthew? We're talking about evolving your concept. What does that look like? Well, 
one of the, I'll get to that sort of through another thing, which is staffing. So San Francisco, for example, pre-pandemic was brutal for staff. I mean, we had, we had pre-pandemic, I think 120 employees, and we could make people move from location to location, so we did all right, but uh, it was still difficult. And the pandemic came and it got more difficult. And so at one point, one of our, our night cooks passed away, unfortunately, and uh, we had a real trouble getting new night cooks. Someone would come in and they weren't really good, but it takes a while to suss that out. We ended up fairly recently uh, acquiring and absorbing a restaurant in San Francisco that was closing down due to the pandemic. So we just took their staff, we even took their whole concept and put it into the same one of our locations. Um, and so we're, we get a lot of interest uh, being a sustainable, not plant-based only, but plant-forward brand, um, come to this location, come to this location. And my response is, hey, I two 4,000 square foot locations I closed in the downtown San Francisco district. Both corner locations, extremely high foot traffic. Uh, landlords said, hey, we'll cut your rent by X amount. But we said we couldn't staff them at this point. Wow. You know, so and even if we could staff them, the foot traffic's not enough to pay the staff. So we've really shifted to taking our existing locations and uh, creating virtual brands partially by segmenting our menu just for the third parties and then also licensing to some other restaurants. So we're licensing our salad menu to one. Uh, and then I created a, an organic barbecue brand, which was doing well, but I shut it down because of meat costs were so ridiculous. Like a, a rack of ribs, organic ribs, was, I'd have to charge 75 bucks. I'm like, I can't do that. So we're going into a vegan brand, and salad brand, organic burger bar, build your own burger brand, sort of utilizing what we have and what we're already using to go more third party and sort of hit the virtual brand with the existing kitchens we have. So use more with less, if that makes sense. So it's, yeah, that's how, that's how we started 2019 pre-pandemic uh, with the virtual brands. Originally how we did it was we we looked at our menu and realized um, you could have three keywords on the, the three PDs. So we had dogs, burgers, Americana. And then we realized that nobody was ordering the chicken sandwiches. Nobody was ordering, you know, the impossible, you know, plant-based stuff. So we then looked at our, our menu and we cut it out into five different sections. So we created a chicken concept called Bad Mother Clucker, breakfast, <laughs> badass breakfast burritos. We partnered with Impossible uh, Foods. So we have a, we own Impossible Shop, Jailbird Wings. So we did these different um, big belly burgers. So we did these different companies and uh, that's what saved us through the pandemic. We sales went spiking and then all of a sudden we have these brands now. What we did with those ones is we don't license them out. They're in our actual restaurants, right? So we're not like virtual dining concepts where they have Mr. Beast Burger goes into somebody else. Ours is what can we do? And, with, and we created the brands with only adding one skew. So like fast breakfast burritos, a 14 inch tortilla. And, um, but now uh, that's part of our plan. And then uh, we'll probably be opening like past breakfast burritos will be its actual brick and mortar and go in the franchising that one. So, so you're franchising? Oh, we're a franchise. Yeah, no, we're a franchise company, um, Doghouse. So we have um, everything's either licensed with Live Nation or um, um, or all franchised. So we have no corporate. We have one corporate store, uh, but with the, what I'm talking about with Badass Breakfast Burritos, actually franchising like brick and mortars 
for that kind of concept because right. it does when, so well. When we were raising money years ago, the sort of the VCs were saying, hey, no, 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 don't franchise. It's going to spoil your brand. We decided to do one at the San Francisco airport. And that's very close by, so it's really easy to manage. And they give us give us a percentage, and it's really quite it's quite great because they run everything. And now that we're doing less brick and mortar, I'm thinking franchise is the way to go because you know those people operate and own their stores, so they hopefully count on them better than trying to hire employees that you then vet and then they do or don't work out. Yeah, you know, I mean, with franchising, I think the big thing is you're either a franchise company or you're where you do the corporate stores. We've, we've, uh, when we tried, we started off with three corporate stores, crushed it. We said we'd never want to franchise because you lose your soul. You can never right. be consistent. You lose control of it. And then you start thinking, wait, McDonald's probably the most <laughs> consistent brand out there. So, like, it's possible, right? So, we went down that route. And uh, it's definitely, I mean, you could, we're opening up 10 stores this next quarter. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot easier to do with somebody else's money, somebody else's sure. staff, somebody, you know. So for us, um, you know, it definitely did work. We were afraid of it, but I mean, we could name Sammy probably not everything. Franchise companies that do very well, and there's the ones that are the corporate stores, right? Like yeah, Taco, you know, you know, Clay Dover has his, and they're doing great. And and I'd say with all the people who give money for raising money, or it's you could get it either way. You know, you, do you mentioned these virtual brands were born out of necessity through the pandemic as restaurants were closed, right? Now the restaurants are kind of back open and people are coming back in. Do you still see that spike in those those brands? Well, so we created it originally, I mean, originally so we could be seen on the third party delivery, right? Nobody, when you see doghouse and you search where it is, dog or burger, when someone types in hot national chicken, we don't even get, we're not in the top 50. Mm-hmm. When we created bad mother clucker, then all of a sudden we're in the top five. Got it. And so like, that's why we created it. It was a necessity because everybody's doing delivery. Um, today, we're 22% of our sales is still delivery. And um, of, of just the virtual brands, it is. Um, and so it's something that I don't think it's going to go away. Uh, and the great thing about a brand is we roll a new one, we might close another one. It's just, it's virtual. I mean, it's literally as easy as throwing away that printing, you know, those bags that you had and start a new brand. Yeah. What about food costs in terms of delivery fees, third party? Simple. Add 25%. Right. <laughs> like no, people always say delivery fees are so expensive. It's like, well, then if your burger is 12 bucks in the store, make it 15 on the, and then there's no more headaches for that. So obviously customers are willing to pick that up. Once you have a lot of venues, you could really negotiate the prices pretty, pretty low. <laughs> and then um, people really do, I'm shocked, but... They go to DoorDash and Postmates and Uber, and they use pickup because, you know, drive-through is the best thing ever. But nobody has a problem pulling up because they know the fees are way higher, and so um, pickup's another big one. Or white label with the DoorDash mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. where you just pass all the fees on to the customer, or most of the fees on to the customer. Yeah. Just nice. And, um, I'm, do you do any off-premises for Barcelona? Or um, fit an experience. So. Yeah, so we we did um, we did take out during the pandemic because we had to because we were shut down. Um, as soon as we reopened the restaurants, takeout collapsed. Um, in all fairness, right, our food our our food number one doesn't travel well. We don't we're not serving pizza, we're not serving soup, we're not serving burritos, we're not serving burgers. It just doesn't travel well. Um, and then beyond that, people I think come to Barcelona for a complete experience, right? There's a 
what is the product? If the product is food, get me the food as quick and convenient as possible. <laughs> if the product is the whole experience, that's the music, that's the art, that's the people and everything else. The food is just a part of that. So as soon as people realize that they could have that entire experience, yeah. uh, take out for us, drop to next to nothing, um, which at the end of the day, we're we're fine with on our end, but we run a very different sort of organization. We want to be able to completely curate what you're hearing, what you're seeing, who you're talking to, and what that feels like. Um, and that just doesn't translate into something that you can yeah. you can bring home with you. Yeah, and we, it keeps us away from- I went to your place last year here, and it was just amazing. It was a great experience, and it's fun, and that, that's hard. And for us, what we were worried about was, okay, now the bars are gonna reopen again. Delivery's gonna drop, but not at all. Because I thought like, okay, now everybody, you know, who is getting deliveries for lunch and stuff is now going to go back. Our, my entire company is going to go back at lunchtime and go walk out like they normally do in Old Town and grab food. And everyone's like, you know, why don't we just have the meeting here? We could bring the food here. And it's like, it's just not stopping. So for us, um, we're really figuring out how to work with the three PDs because it's it that I don't think that's it's going to go down or anything too much. I think the, the question but, sort of becomes, like, it sounds like you've done a really thoughtful job of engineering what are those items and what are those new brands that do travel well to go but we know that there's a uh, the tolerance for poor quality of yeah. execution in restaurants is is going down right yeah. people there was a generosity yep. i was at a conference uh about two weeks ago and somebody said you know a year and a half ago i was happy to be sitting on a patio and if the food actually showed up yeah. at any point in the process i would uh, that was just like cherry on top now there's just a lower tolerance for bad bad service bad quality of food i think that the danger on all of the to-go stuff is there's just a limited number of food items that travel well and the more the people when people are paying those serve charges yeah the higher the cost for the lower quality of product that at some point is it's it's going to affect right that that whole business model not the three third-party deliveries are right. making any money in the first place, right. but um, they just have high valuations. Well, you know, I'm always impressed by operators that can run multiple high-end locations. We had two, full service, full bar, one on the Embarcadero by the Ferry Building in San Francisco, one on Burlingame Avenue, and they were tough. I mean, everything had to be on point, and so we get different, you know, managers in there, and some were good, some were not as good, and I just found that I had to be at those locations to make sure they really ran versus fast casual. So we sold those, closed them down, sold them and focused on the fast casual because maybe it's a San Francisco thing too. I've heard that over the years pre-pandemic that good help is much harder to find in the Bay Area than other places. And some of our best managers came from outside the Bay Area. So there's no question running a full service operation, particularly a really complicated one. If you don't have the right people, it hurts. Yeah. We used to really focus on how do we keep our operations tight and close together. Let's cluster them in the Northeast or cluster them in Atlanta. That way, um, again, you always had somebody there to make sure that it was good. Our highest performing restaurant coming out of the pandemic is here in Denver. We're running 50, 60 percent over 2019 sales. And it's a four hour plane flight for anybody on our operations team to get to. Um, but it's about having the right people in charge. Our GM here has been with us since we opened. He's with us for close to a year before we opened. Um, and it, oftentimes that longevity allows you to run the operation as long as it's theirs. If this is your restaurant, right? Treat it like it's your Do own. Do you do profit sharing with them? What's that? Does the GM get profit sharing? 
Uh, we've, we're actually working on some plans for that now. Right now, we lean into making sure that they're just really well compensated. They need to have high salary and they need to have access to a really you know, fair bonus program. Yeah, I heard a few great operators who are in the industry, they started really giving that GM, which we're copying, like ownership. Yep. Their name's on the door, like, you know, proprietary, you know, is the GM's name. They get to see the budgets, the financials. It's not how we used to do it where you offer a bonus at the end of the year because that means, oh, maybe they won't be gone and they'll be fired or they'll quit, so I'll save from a year. But they get it every single month. They look at the P&L. They get 10% of that. And it really drives something's really helping keep the manager level there because yeah, you know we do quarterly bonuses yeah. and they have an end of the year sort of kicker if they've really over exceeded. Right. Question: So with your franchises, uh, do you offer the virtual brands as a an add-on? All included. It's so, all included. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, that's it's 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 just uh, that was part of the deal. We had to save save them during the okay. pandemic. Of course, it's great for us because we just collect royalties, right? So yeah. you know, more goes up if we're collecting it. So it's not like we're trying to get an extra franchise fee or whatnot. Um, but we do have the rights, like if we wanted to, to go ahead and license out or start franchising one of those concepts as well. Did but they would be grandfathered in. Did you have a separate franchise? building company that helps you guys create your whole package or do it all in your own? All on our own. I mean, we had a consultant at the beginning. The most important thing is just your FDD. I mean, that's that's the hardest thing is making all those decisions that's in that FDD. But, um, I mean, not too hard. You could go on any public site and look at everybody's FDDs and yeah. just read 50 of them and go, okay, that's a good idea. This is how you do it. And this is a good penalty or this is good. But we made ours very fair. There's some ones that are very cutthroat to one one-sided and and we've never ever ever penalized anybody um, if if they're struggling or something's wrong. I mean, we don't want to make money off of somebody's pain. So, yeah. Yeah, we have a few different, I guess, contractors that are looking to help us franchise, and I'm kind of saying, just wait, wait a moment. So we're sort of recalibrating, but we've been building the franchise package. We have one already, but building the franchise packet as we simplified through the pandemic because it was easier to reduce your menu without ticking customers off because they seem to understand, oh, hey, my favorite thing's not here. Well, it only sold 3%. So you know what I mean? So we've been able to boil our menu down a little bit in that sense. Yeah. Well, that's why we come to the create and you have all these people here to network with. I don't think you need a consultant. Or right. You need the best <laughs> consultants. Or who's the, who's the attorney that we use? Here's this person. This company uses them, this person uses them. Here's a good lead. Otherwise, here, I mean, I'll send you our FTD. You can, I mean, we've, we have people comb through everybody else's to try to make the best, fairest one. It's not a secret, so like, yeah. you know, I'll send an email and that saves the 50,000 bucks, but we still gotta get the attorney, but, um, and then you go through that and see if it fits your vibe. I didn't pay you to plug the conference, but <laughs> you're not getting anything from that. Well, I got a question for you. I heard there's a rumor about where this is going next year, right? No rumor, it's on the poster. Okay, and then there's another rumor I heard. So next year's going to Palm Springs, right? Yes, sir. So the, the rumor, I just want to see if you could verify this, is From that and at the NRA show in Chicago, mm -hmm. is uh, is your company doing some kind of like tiki bar cruise? 
I think it's like Tiki Bar 2023. Apparently, we are now. Uh, that's, I just want to see what if you weren't before. <laughs> we just have a plan. I swear I heard, heard that last time. Sounds like something, an idea you would come up and convince uh, us to do. I think it's a great idea. I, I think I have some witnesses. I'm in. Okay. You have some witnesses. You'll supply the dogs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, if you can cater it, sure. Right, we'll get the good. boat. Done. You've got a spot in Chicago, right? There you go. We got one. Uh, well, let's go back to the people part of this, right? Because you guys are talking a lot about labor. Jason, maybe talk a little bit about like how you've been dealing with Are you having the same situation out here in Denver? Yeah. Well, what I notice, we, we only have a couple locations now, like you guys, where you have them in multiple states and stuff. So what I notice is, is it's it's based on the neighborhood. Like if it's a good working class neighborhood, we don't experience the same type of labor issues uh, like we would in more of a white collar neighborhood because there's just not that many potential team members that live nearby the restaurant. So most most team members they don't want to drive more than you know eight minutes to get to a store. So we have a couple stores where they're just good working neighborhoods, and we got another one that's in a white collar neighborhood, and we struggle in that spot to to find good staff. That's all of San Francisco for you. Mm. It's too expensive. Pockets. Well, just so it's expensive. Yeah. The rents are so expensive. Right. The people have to travel in. Right. And there's more demand than there is supply. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't I mean I don't know how you. Get around the mountain towns here in, in Colorado really struggle with that because it's super expensive to live up there, uh, and so there's people floating creative ideas, e even going as far as just creating housing for your staff, which mm -hmm. is, is mind blowing to think of. But they really struggle in the mountain towns for for labor and restaurants. What other kind of solutions are you guys finding that are, are working to attract people? Well, the one that we mentioned before that seems to be working with the GMs, uh, that's really helping. Um, we also have with internally, uh, we pay our staff uh, finder's fee if they have a friend um, that comes comes in. And if it works out over a month, then they get a, a reward for finding that person. So, you know, knowing, trusting, hey, coworker, a kitchen person, hey, we need another grill person. I think one of the things that's very hard for us to do is to open a store. We have three locations right now, two in San Antonio, one in Houston. Built, ground up, two million bucks. Can't open it because they don't have, they, we won't sign off unless they have 40 staff ready to go. Mm -hmm. And uh, can't open it, there's not enough people. So what we've done to kind of beat the system with ours, what they were having a problem with is people want to get a job knowing that they can start tomorrow. They don't want to go to that interview process saying we're opening in two weeks, three weeks, like, that doesn't work that way. So our solution that we're doing currently right now is we open up with virtual, um, with the virtual brands, delivery only for two weeks. And as we're doing that, so the doors are all closed, delivery drivers are coming, people know it's actually working and then new people come in and we do two weeks of a soft opening and we do our grand opening on day day uh, 30. So we're going just delivery opening kind of slow because if we have 15 people there, then people will start coming and coming and coming. So it's a kind of hybrid way of doing it. Not not overseeing the marketing side, it's not the best grand opening splash, but um, but it's definitely working to attract people. I imagine, Adam, you require a lot of very talented people to operate a Barcelona. So how is that going for you? Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you sort of the philosophy, not that we always do it as well as, as we articulate it, but uh, I don't believe that there's a problem that there's not enough people out there to staff our restaurants. Uh, there's not enough people to staff all of the restaurants at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it's the same 
issue as any point of competition we've ever had, right? There's a limited number of diners and there's too many seats. What do you do to make it better? You have to have a better product than everyone else and you have to communicate it. Right? If, you're telling, if you actually have a better product that when they come in, they enjoy it more and you communicate that out to people, you don't have a problem filling your seats. It's the same exact thing on the employment side. You have to have a better job than everybody else and you have to communicate that. So we've done a lot uh, to to think about how we're compensating everybody at all levels of our teams. We're paying people a lot more than we were before, but in a way that we've found is sustainable without um, crushing labor cost. We're offering a lot more different incentives to people, everything from paying people's uh, student loans um, with you know different degrees of student loan payments with tenure on down. We do uh, pay time for volunteering, all these sort of different ideas. We pay for people's wine education, uh, but also right in recognizing that right now people just want those flexible schedules. It's not handcuffing people to a five-day work week or a certain specific number of shifts. Remember the old, you have to work, yeah, uh, you have to work one bunch, <laughs> right, in order to get a job? No, if you want to bartend three nights a week and you want to be a great bartender three nights a week, that works. So we have to have that flexibility. The challenging part on the other side is how do we take our team and convince them that it is fundamental to their jobs to get out in the world and communicate that to everyone else. So we and we we push our we actually give uh, dining allowances to our management teams. We want them out in the community, out eating and drinking at other restaurants and bars, meeting people, right? Doing some direct recruiting, however you want to call it. But I think about it this way. It's not, it's, not, it's not even going into somebody else's restaurant and stealing them off the floor. It's about the fact that every restaurant neighborhood, because we tend not to have destination dining, we tend to be in right. neighborhoods with a bunch of restaurants. All of those people who work in the industry have somewhere to drink. I call it the cantina from Star Wars, right? Everybody has that place. Yep. And there's the old line where, you know, Luke Skywalker goes in and he asks Obi-Wan, why are we here? And he says, we're here to find a pilot. Why? Because that's where the pilots go to drink. Mm. If, you, if you know where your people in your neighborhood go out, go and meet them there, spark conversation at whatever it is that you need to do to get that message out is key to, to recruiting. So again, I, I don't view it as all that different to attracting customers, right? You got to have a better product and you have to communicate. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. I think our teams that do it the best are pretty well fully staffed. The teams that are struggling just to find the time to do that, you can get caught in the hamster wheel of, we don't have enough people, so we lost some people, and we don't have any more people, and I don't have time to go recruit people. And then we make sure that we drop people into those cities and, and give them the resources. Yeah, I, one other thing too that, I, you know, I love listening to the podcast that people are doing, and this has probably been the most commonly asked question over the last year. And the one answer that I don't hear a lot of people talk about, and the CEO of Noodles mentioned it a little bit, where they actually teach their GMs to schedule time to go around and talk to the staff. And I, I think having a charismatic GM or a GM people just want to be around is one of the best things you can do for staffing. Like making that, that ride higher at that GM level, and then people just kind of they're a magnet to having other people around them. GM has to make the lo job look good. They have to make the job look fun. Yeah. And that just spreads out to everybody. Definitely. See, we had uh, <clears throat> transitioning from fast casual and fine dining to just fast casual. We saw that was much more difficult because your, your the wages are just less than fine dining. So you can't pay that manager $800,000 because there's less income per store. It's all relative. So then <clears throat> we were getting not necessarily poached, but we weren't as attractive to some of the other restaurants in the city that were paying more, but required more. And so for what we've done is uh, 
just tried to make their benefits, time off, uh, camaraderie, and you know, and, and also as you mentioned, kind of have staff meetings. Our one of our GMs is, you know, he's sort of up and coming, uh, has strengths and weaknesses, but the assistant GM is really great with customers. And so, and then the chef, the new chef that we replaced, he can hire people, as you sort of said, he can hire people by just, you know, canvassing, where our other chef couldn't do that. We do that, we'd pay them a bonus, but it just wasn't effective. And so getting these guys to work together as a team uh, has been huge, I think. Just because, again, we can't pay, for fast casual, you can't pay the salaries that, the, you know, the wine bar down the street is charging $14 a glass of wine, you know, can pay. So that's been our challenge, I'd say, but it's, it's starting to come together. For the record, we don't have a lot of fourteen dollars. Okay, good. <laughs> I was going to ask. Yeah, there's something that's there's something that's nine. There's something that's ten. You know, okay. one thing real, real quick, and rather two sides of the coin. You know, Sam, you asked. You, you have a lot of skilled, talented people to hire. One of the things that we've been bad at, as a restaurant industry, so to speak, we tend to be impatient as operators. Mm -hmm. Right? And now more than ever, you need the patience in order to take people who don't know how to do the job, they don't know how to carry plates, they don't know the name of, they don't know how wine is made, right? And you need to be able to take the time to train them, right? The flip side of the is we all need to get better, I think, collectively in communicating out to the world that restaurant jobs can be really, really good jobs. And what other industry can you go from minimum wage or somewhere close to it to a six-figure career without a college degree, without specific education, right? Without a specific, totally. right? In three of in our, two years, three three of years, our staff members years. now own franchi our franchisees. The speed, the speed at which you can do that, if there's a good training program, if there's a patient leader in place, and if you're willing to hire people for attitude instead of their past experience, again, I think that's something that we really need to get do better just as a group mm -hmm. of broadcasting out into the world that you know, people have this vision of restaurant as a dead-end job that you get somehow stuck washing dishes for 15 years, right? There's a lot more that you can do with it. Yeah, I, I, that's a great point, and that's something I don't hear enough people talking about. I know I started out as a dishwasher, as well as probably most of the people that are here this weekend all started out at the lowest level of restaurants and all have all worked their way up. That's a great point. All right, fellas. Thanks for joining. I appreciate this. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Sam. Thank you.